Today our scripture passage is from the book of Genesis, and uh, we're continuing our series, Forged in Faith, about how God made his people Israel and how he continues to make us today. But we're going to do this a little differently. I'm going to go ahead and start. I'm going to read this passage as it, as it pertains to the whole message right there in the middle. But before we do that anyway, we're going to start with a prayer, as a prayer for illumination for God's spirit to illumine and guide us. So let us bow our heads in prayer. Good and gracious Father, Lord, as we come before your word and before your spirit today, Lord, we ask that you would guide us. We ask that your Holy Spirit, Lord, which instructed these words of Scripture, would instruct us again, Lord, that you would teach our hearts and you would teach our minds your good and perfect will for our life. Father, bless this holy reading of your holy word. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you today, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so, so last week, we began learning about how God makes people, how God makes his people, how God made people Israel, and how he continues to make us today. And last week, we found out that the way God starts making people is he begins with a promise. And that's how people have begun. That's that first seed that's planted. He begins with a promise. God says, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to make you into this kind of people. And out of that promise that God makes with us that puts a dream in our hearts, it gives us this dream and it gives us this vision and it's, and it's that dream and it's that vision that continues to drive us in life. It gives us our fuel, it gives us our energy, it gives us that fire and that motivation to keep going, it gives us that fuel and our fire for us to have faith in life. And that's how it starts, it starts with a promise. And today we're talking about another crucial part of becoming God's people, and it's just as important as the promise. And when I tell you what it is, it's going to sound a little strange. And it might sound actually counterintuitive. But for us to become God's people, it is important. It, it, is, no, it is essential that we are the kinds of people that will fight with God. That's right, if we're going to be God's people, we have to be the kind of people that will fight with God. As in, if we're going to be transformed by Him, if we're going to be remade into His image, we've got to be willing to fight with Him. Now, I know that sounds crazy, and some of you aren't believing me. Some of you aren't. They're like, no, I think you're wrong this time. The Bible says we have to obey God. We don't fight with God. That's what evil people do. We obey God. Okay, and you're right. You're right. The Bible says we obey Him. And it is a key, a crucial part of our faith journey to obey God. And, and later on, we'll get to that part, obeying God, and, and the role that obeying God plays in becoming His people. But before we get there, we fight with God. And we get into fights with God. We have to be the people that are willing to fight with God. Now the reason, the reason why we have to obey God and fight with God is because we confuse compliance with obedience. And that's a big, big confusion for us sometimes. Compliance and obedience. What God wants from us is obedience. What we tend to give God is compliance. But compliance isn't obedience. 
See, to be compliant, it looks just like obedience. Okay, compliance looks just like obedience. You're doing what someone tells you to do. So it looks like obedience, but it's really not. Because when you're just being compliant, you're not really obeying in your heart. You're just, out, you're just giving outward obedience. You're thinking, this is dumb. I shouldn't have to do this. I don't want to do this, but I have to because there's some punishment or repercussion. And so you do it anyway. But you're rebelling in your heart. That's compliance. Compliance is what you give your boss. Okay? Your boss at work gets your compliance. You know, boss tells you to do something. This is dumb. It's dumb. It's not going to work. It's a waste of my time. And it actually is bad for the company. But he's my boss. I've got to do it because he'll fire me or I won't get a promotion. And so you do it anyway. But in your heart, you're seething the whole time. You're like, why should I have to do this? This is dumb. That's compliance. That's not what God wants from us. What God wants from you is obedience. It's so it's, it's, You're doing the same thing. You're obeying him. You're doing what he says. But instead of just being the outward show and your heart is boiling and seething and rebelling against it, your heart is saying, okay, yes, I want to do this. I might not understand it. It might not make a lick of sense to me, but God, I trust you. This might look like the worst idea I've ever done in my life, but God, I trust you because I just want to be obedient to you. That's obedience. And that's what God wants from us. But for us to be obedient people, we've got to be like, we got to be like that horse that's ready to take a bridle. Y'all seen those videos of the, of the cowboy that tames the wild horse? You know, he gets on him and the horse is bucking and fighting and trying to throw him off. And eventually the horse kind of calms down and he's ready to take the bridle. The biblical word for that is meek. It's meekness. Now we confuse meekness with weakness a lot of times. Of A meek person is someone who's just mousy and submissive and just kind of wringing their hands in the corner. And, oh, I just want to be nice to everybody and don't get mad at me kind of thing. But that's not meekness. Meekness is when you're ready to take the bridle. It's that horse that's ready to take the bridle. And once you can take the bridle, you can take direction. And until you can do that, you're no use to God. So when you're at a point where you're ready to take the bridle of God, that's when you're ready to be obedient. And you can't do that while you're still that wild stallion, while you still have all that wildness in you and it hasn't been tamed yet. And because that's what we are naturally. We're naturally that wild horse. You remember trying to put a, a leash on a puppy for the first time? You know what they do? They go nuts. Well, they hate it. Because a leash isn't natural. And when God tries to put the bridle on us for the first time, what do we do? We fight. We fight because we're willful and we're sinful creatures. And God is trying to impose obedience upon us. But the fight, the fight, I will tell you, is crucial. The fight is an important part of us becoming God's people. And the fight was actually an important part of the history of Israel. Do you know that's, in fact, how Israel got its name? They got their name from a fight. They got their name from a fight with God. It's actually a fascinating story, this fight that happened, where they got their name. It started with a guy named Jacob. 
a guy named Jacob, and y'all probably might remember him from Sunday school, from reading your Bible, that Jacob was the grandson of Abraham. Now, Abraham's the guy we talked about last week. He was the one that received a promise of God. He says, I will make you the father of a great nation, and in you all the nations will be blessed. He received the promise. Now, when Abraham died, he only had one son. It was a kid named Isaac. Now, in the Bible, Isaac really doesn't do a lot that's that significant. Okay, and Isaac had two sons with his wife, a, a pair of twins named Esau and Jacob. And Esau was the oldest son, and Jacob was the younger. Now, according to the, the traditions of that culture, the older son was going to have the birthright. The older son was going to get the inheritance. And the blessing then that God gave Abraham passed to Isaac and was supposed to pass to Esau. And he was going to be the one that would, this blessing would be fulfilled and the promise would be fulfilled. It would be in Esau. But God had a different plan. God said, it's not going to be through Esau. I'm going to bless the world through the younger son, Jacob. But there's a problem. Esau was going to get the blessing. Esau was going to get the inheritance. And so in order for that to happen, it was actually uh, Jacob and his mom hatched this plot that they were going to trick Isaac to get the blessing for Jacob. And so Isaac had gotten old, and he had started losing his eyesight, and he couldn't really tell one son from the other that well. And, and Jacob and his mom tricked Isaac, and Jacob got the blessing. Jacob got the blessing instead of Esau. Jacob tricked Esau out of his inherit, whole inheritance. And so as you could probably imagine, Esau was not that happy. Esau, in fact, wanted to kill his brother Jacob. So Jacob had no choice but to run away. And his mom sent him away to go live with her family and with a guy named Laban. So Jacob, he runs away from his, from his father and he runs away from his brother and he goes to live with Laban. And as he's living with Laban, he meets one of his daughters, this beautiful woman named Rachel. And Jacob said, Laban, I love your daughter. She's gorgeous. She's everything I've wanted in a woman. Can I marry her? Laban said, yes, but you can't have her for free. You got to work for her. How about seven years labor? Seven years labor, and you can have my daughter Rachel. Jacob said, it's a deal. In fact, that's a bargain. I'm willing to do it. And I proved to you what a, what a bargain he thought it was. Um, so he, he worked seven years, and it's time to marry Rachel, the day he's been waiting for. And don't ask me how this happens, okay? But when he wakes up after his wedding night, he realizes he's got the wrong sister. He doesn't have Rachel. He's got the sister, her sister, Leah. That's who he's married, and that's who he spent his wedding night with. Like I said, I don't know how that happened. Okay? I don't want to get into that right now at church. It's, it's kind of a sordid tale, okay? And it even gets worse. So he ends up, he's tricked, and he's married Leah. And so he goes to Laban, listen, I bargained for Rachel. Why'd you give me Leah? And he's like, oh, well, listen, I forgot to explain my traditions. I thought you knew it. The older sister has to get married first. So he was like, fine. What do I need to do for Rachel? He goes, how about seven more years of work? See, I told you seven years was a bargain because he ended up working 14 years to get Rachel. So after another seven years, he marries Rachel, the one he wants. And then, ah, oh, gosh, there's so much drama in his life at this point. I mean, he married two women and their sisters. You can imagine what would happen in his life if you want to read it genesis 25 to 35 it's a fantastic tale it'll make a great netflix movie actually 
all kinds of family drama, and he eventually ends up getting in a fight with his father-in-law. And it's because God blesses him more than he blesses Laban. And Laban gets jealous, and he gets in a fight with his father-in-law, and he has to run away now from his father-in-law. So he's run from his brother Esau. Now he's running from his father-in-law Laban, and he's stuck in this place between the two men that don't really like him a lot. And it's not all Jacob's fault. So he's at this place in his life. He's running from his father-in-law. He's been running from his brother. And now he finds out his brother is on his way to meet him face to face. Hasn't seen his brother in years. Last time he was around him, he stole his birthright. He stole his inheritance. So Jacob's kind of freaking out. He's not thinking the best about this meeting with his brother. And the night before he's supposed to meet his brother, he has this extraordinary encounter. I want you to look at your, your uh, bulletins here. This is Genesis 32. This is what happens to Jacob now at this part of the story. The same night Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had, and Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then Jacob said, then, then the man said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because they touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh." Friends, this was the key moment in Jacob's life. This is how Jacob came to terms with what God was doing in his life. He was running from conflict, running towards another conflict, and not all of it was his fault. A lot of it was because of God's plan in his life, and that brought him into conflict with other people. This is how he found peace. He found peace in a good old-fashioned, knock-down, drag-out, wrestling match with God. So how do we come to terms with what God is doing in our life? How do we find our peace? I mean, some of what happens to us is completely our fault, but some of it is the plan of God. How do we come to peace with that? Sometimes it's good old-fashioned, knock-down, drag-out, wrestling match with God. See, God wants our obedience, but He wants it willingly. He wants it to be true. He wants that obedience to be real. He doesn't want mouth service. He wants heart service. 
He wants heart obedience. He wants heart faith. That's why Jesus was so hard on those Pharisees. The Pharisees were real good at giving compliance. They were real good at giving outward service. But Jesus knew and he saw, you're not giving the service to God in your heart. And that's what he wants. He doesn't want the outside stuff as much as he wants the inside stuff. Knowing that once he has the inside and the heart obedience, he will have all the compliance and all the obedience that he needs. And to make us into those people, it can't be done by compulsion. It can't be done by force because he's given us free wills and he's given us free hearts. And that's why the law can't make people righteous because it can't be done with compliance and it can't be done with road obedience and it can't be done with external obedience to his law. We've got to choose. We have to choose freely to love him and to obey him with our whole hearts. It's the only way we can be his people is to love him freely and obediently out of our own free will. And I know it sounds blasphemous to say we have to fight with God. I know it sounds sinful to say we have to fight with God. But guess what? You're a blasphemer and you're a sinner. So guess what blasphemers and sinners do? They fight with God. That's what God does because he's got to get a rebellious and a selfish and a prideful people and he has to turn them into freely loving, obedient children. The Bible's word for his people, you know what he calls them when he gets upset with them? He says, you're being stiff-necked. I think that's a great word. He says, you are a stiff-necked people. You think of a stiff neck. You, you refuse to bow down. Right, you refuse to, to, to even nod your head because you're yeah, I'm just going to be stiff necked and proud, and that's what God has to do. He has to take a stiff necked people and turn them into a warm, loving, and freely obedient people. Now, sometimes we can do that the easy way just with instruction and love and devotion and guidance, sometimes it just takes a fight. Of course, there is a right way and a wrong way to fight with God. Too often when we fight with God, we do it the wrong way. People do it the wrong way all the time. And the wrong way to fight with God is to give your complaints and to give your insults and to tell God why you're mad at him and then turn away and never talk to him again. That's the wrong way. The wrong way to fight with God is to say, God, you've made me angry. I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you've done in my life. And I'm not going to talk to you anymore. In fact, I'm not going to believe in you. How you like that? That's how angry I am with you. That's the wrong way to fight with God. In fact, that's not even fighting with God. That's just taking your shots and then running away. The right way to fight with God is how Jacob did it. I want you to look what he says in, in verse, uh, verse 26. Right? Okay, he's fighting with God. He's wrestling. And God actually just touches his hip. And his hip goes out of socket. Because God says, I want you to let me go. The day's breaking. Let me go. And he, and he hits his hip and he pops it out of socket. I've never had anything of mine go out of socket. Right? But I've heard it hurts really bad. Right? And so he popped his hip out of socket to try to get him to let go. Right? And this is what he says in verse 26. He says, then he said, let me go for the day is broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. 
you catch that? You see how Jacob fought with God? I will not let you go until you bless me. That's how you fight with God. That is the right, the holy way to fight with God. That's how God's people fight with him. Is you get into whatever your conflict is with him. And you can throw it out honestly. If you're mad with God, God knows you're mad. You're not fooling him. You lay your heart out before him. And you can fight. You can wrestle with God. But you've got to say to him, Lord, I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. That's a fight of faith right there. That is a fight of faith. As you say, Lord, I don't understand what you're doing. I don't like it. I don't like what's happening here. But I'm not going to let go of you until you bless me. Because you're saying, God, I'm not taking anybody else's blessing. I don't want any other blessing out there. God, it's you or it's nobody. I'm in this to the very end. If you're going to kill me out of this, then so be it. But I'm not going to let go of you until I get my blessing out of this. God, I'm hurt. I'm not letting go of you until you bless me. God, I'm confused and I'm lost, but I'm not letting go until you bless me. God, I feel abandoned. I feel cast aside. I feel rejected by you and rejected by others. And I'm all alone here on the earth. But Lord, I am not letting go of you until you bless me. That is how you fight with God. That is how we become his people. And that's how Jacob got the name Israel. And that's how we get the name of Israel. Did anybody pick up on the meaning of the word Israel? Let me tell you to verse 28 here. God says, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. In Hebrew, the word Israel means fights with God or strives with God or contends with God. So that means the people of God are literally named the people who fight with God. That's what God's people do. They fight with them. And we fight with them because we're called to be more than just obedient. We're called into relationship with Him. God doesn't want us just walking around doing everything we tell Him to do. He wants a relationship with you. He wants an honest-to-goodness relationship with each and every one of you. And let's be true, okay? Any honest relationship has its fights. Think about your relationships in life. Do you have any honest relationship in your life that doesn't have fights? In fact, I bet the person you're most honest with, the person that you are most comfortable with, that's the person you fight with the most. It's just human nature. And we fight with God because we're honest with Him. And if we're honest with them, we'll fight with them. Because we can't be both broken and honest with God and not get into a fight here and there. It's humanly impossible. But if we're willing to be honest with God, 
if we're willing to be in an honest relationship with God, there may be fights along the way, but that is how we engage in the honest transformation of going from a stiff-necked people into the children of God. You know, they say Jacob limped for the rest of his life. For the rest of his days, he bore the scars of that epic battle with God. But because he was willing to engage in that honest fight, he was given a blessing beyond comparison. Forever after, the people of God would bear his name, the name of Israel, also known as the people who fight with God. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.